Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Nick with 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. Today's episode ended up taking a bit longer than we anticipated, so we decided we're going to cut into two parts. Each part will be approximately an hour long, but they will both be released at the same time, so you can listen to them as your schedule allows. Without any further ado, let's get to the podcast. Hi everybody, and welcome to another 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, or retrospective. I, of course, am one of your hosts, Bob, or the main host, I should say. And then I'm accompanied by my guest STs, of course, part of the team as well, uh, that of Brennan. Hey, everyone. And Chris. Hey, everyone. As it turns out, Mike and Nick are ducking because this book was huge. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm willing to bet that's what it was. They heard it was a big book. It's like almost 500 pages. And they were like, really? It's huge. I was like, yeah. It's a, a tome, lot. if you will. And uh, they just felt that maybe, maybe next time. And that's okay. That's how we do things around here. you got to be passionate about what you're going to talk about to get it going in. And it's not to say they are, just sometimes a huge book you don't feel like talking about. To that end, I want to say off the bat, the team of authors on this book are outstanding for what they did. I don't have a single thing to joke or riff about in any sort of negative capacity. I don't, folks. I love this book. I adore this book. I have Hardbound sitting at home. I bought the PDF on top of it. I've used it, used it, used it. It updates so much that a lot of people had issue with or didn't make sense. And these people did their homework. I mean, these they turned around and, and made things make sense that fans were looking for for a long time. And it's contained in these pages, I guarantee it. They even added different bloodlines and perspectives and angles that enhance uh, your story. They do everything to, to titillate and get you to think of even more. And I know they did that because it did it for me. I've been playing for decades and getting this book was like, especially after reviewing it all coming up here and seeing what could be changed. Woo. Outstanding job. Then I said to myself, well, all right, as a reviewer, it's gotta be artwork. Then typically if the writing's that on par, artwork suffers. Nope. Not in this book. Wrong again. Mm -hmm. Wrong again. Am I right? I mean, that's everything in here is something that is talkable. I could do a podcast in every chapter and enjoy but to that end i apologize for the long intro except not really because i think those guys need a moment of that we're going to list every author as we typically do when we release this it's a huge list um but it's worthwhile knowing them and some of these people um i've i've interacted with and uh, just to note that fantastic and we'll add that too so basically pay attention to the contents when we release this you can see all those those uh, those lovely folks because i suddenly couldn't talk and uh, let's get to their work so the V20 Dark Ages book starts like everything else, has a brilliant introduction, and I am not going to ruin it, because in that introduction, it's like they're talking to you directly, of course, but it's not like, you know, table of contents, this is boring, blah, blah, blah. No, it's very personable. It's like it reaches out and says, hey, thanks for coming back. This is what we did. This is why. These sections make sense. We're tying it together. It's logic and passion meet, and you can tell off the bat in the notes that they, 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 go, yeah, they go through <laughs> to boot. I'm sorry, they're looking at me like, what's wrong with you? It's like, my tongue tied. So, anyway, when you get to go into the rest of it, they do lay it out. And if you have the PDF, if you bought the PDF, it's a brilliant copy. Because you're able to just go to the contents of what you're looking for, click it, it brings you right to what you're looking for. Uh, which is outstanding. Which is most likely 
that's that's the way I use it most often. But it is fun to sit back and just read the big hardcover too, which is brilliantly put together. However, to the part I'll start rambling about how good it is in the aesthetics. We'll get to the uh, chapter one. They title it A Place in Time. This is where they go over the embrace. Biology of the dead to the beast. You may think, I already know all that stuff and I'll skip it. Let me tell you about that. If you have that mindset, I caught both Brennan and Chris with that mindset. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to do. There are people who get this book and go, I'm going to run a game dark and just jump in, use it, whatever. I got the book right here. I've, I blah, 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 combed over. I know these chapters. All oh, those clans are typical, blah, 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 blah. And I sit back and I smile. Because that means there's extra value in this book. For, for everyone like him and those vets who think they know better. Because you're going to miss points. And the nuance is sweet. So when you relook at the embrace, uh, the body of the undead, the physi- uh, physna, I can't pronounce that word suddenly. Physiology. physiology. No, it's not. No, that's physiology. <laughs> I've never seen that word before. I don't know how to pronounce that word, but it's basically referring to the body makeup of the dead. I, I get that much. Sorry, my Latin sucks. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to have issues. <laughs> right, but it goes to the beast. Now, why I love the beast section so much, it's short and sweet, and it still draws the impact of the intent of what the beast is. I love it as well, Bob. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. The reason why I feel that way is because it, it puts it in such a conversational way that hasn't been introduced, especially for those readers of like B20, where it, it's a conversation to let you know that you're you're walking side by side with it uh, for the most part. It's like, yeah, there, there's an expert there that goes like, you know, that feeling that you feel, it, it's running alongside of you. And you've always had this as well. We've read about this in, in another book, which we could talk about later in a different road, but it's interesting to see it here because we don't see it in the modern. And I think this was a good insert to have regarding the beast itself and i agree and one of the cool things they do with this and why i love it so much is that they make it as if it's a mentor talking to a chill mm-hmm. you know kind of bringing them in showing them the rope so they it really hits the heartstrings to go through it and get that because it helps if you're new to the game there's your insight there's your inspiration to get what you are and what you're about to step into easy and quick really helps the storyteller to have that base uh, to go with or a new player to understand then it goes into midnight courts and churchyards this is where it talks about the War of Princes. You know, I love the next page. The audacity of youth kind of sets the tone. Social distinctions between age, fledglings, neonates. Everything that adds a difference that the canines have created amongst their social strata. And it's worth, again, going through the update just to enjoy that refresher. Uh, which is, of course, well done. Uh, adding to the mix, it goes down to both uh, high and low clans. Only pausing to let you know that before this... I, I always refer to the high and low clans as the vampire taste great, less filling argument, uh, just to date myself. Brentron's looking at me like, what? It's because he's 12. He's never heard of those, uh, those <laughs> from back in the day, you know? I, I, got, like, I feel like I'm ancient compared to this guy who looks at me that way. But uh, there's some Super Bowls, Brentron, and those commercials. Taste great, less filling is an argument. You, you, you're aware of Coke and Pepsi are competitors? Uh, yes, I am do? aware of that. Just, okay, just, just pointing yeah, that out. I, I do know that one. All right, well, <laughs> ribbon aside, I always felt it was that. I dumbed it down every time because when I think of a vampire, I don't associate uh, a social strata to it necessarily by default. In my head, there was always a logic of, doesn't that depend on who the reigning power or history of the culture that's mm-hmm. there that would determine who's considered a quote-unquote high clan or low clan? Like, if I go to the Western Steppe, how am I going to tell High Mucky Muck Methuselah Gang Girl, I'm Bob Aventru, a high clan. Where's my <laughs> castle? Defend me. Bring me my blood. You're, you're going to kill me because that don't matter. And so I guess he might have been the high clan at that point. And that's how I should have approached it. 
this absolutely brings that point up in this section and it, and it adds to it well there is a high clan low clan distinction based on canine religion like the book of not adherence things like that it also comes up to just basically what clan you're embraced in and based on where they ruled like the venture are called the high clan because of their dominance in rome and how far rome conquered and that's that's where it is you know they, as far as anyone knows they've been ruling that dominant machine forever and that's kind of who they were they also note that to be a high clan means you blend in amongst those mortals and you can kind of influence them in where they go. And that's something. It means you, you have clout, you have power. You're a low clan if it's just you and your own two. If you don't have any of that pull, how can you do that? If you can't blend in with the mortals, what do you have? And that's something they speak about as well with the Nosferatu. It's like even then, there's an expert about the Nosferatu saying, even if I was prince, I'm still shit out of luck because they just can't, they can't influence the mortals in the way that you would think so. And so unfortunately, that distinction has to be made. But yes, there is that blending as well. Uh, and then they touch on roads. Now, a touch right here just means to explain them. This is the philosophies. It's that simple. And I like how she points out in here that before you think I've left you in a realm of damnation and all this stuff, understand there's hope and that hope erodes. These are the philosophies we have, and she mentions that she herself is a prodigal, a uh, follower of the road of humanity, that is, and that that's because it best tied to who she was in life. It called to her. But let's say you were embraced the Ventru. The attributes of the Ventru clan undoubtedly are what they sought in an embrace, and therefore ruling would be second nature to you. Therefore, the royal highness of the road of bling, as it referred to the road of kings, would, mm. would draw you into that, and that adds a logic to a character build you know you shouldn't suddenly have a child of hakeem turn around and say you know i think today i'm gonna be on the road of paradox and okay where's where's that logic because you know immediately your brain staggers and now you know you have to do some work for that explanation not that it can never happen but that's a real hard sell when it could be a lot easier to do not just the typical but if every road offers derivatives inside that road and it does different uh paths if you will inside the road you should be able to find one right for you where you're at, for what they what they recommend. But this book does one thing amazing. It puts pundits in their place. It tells you, hey, everybody, I understand you have years of wealth. I understand, you know, the, the Bobs, the Dawkins, and everybody else who uh, get on and they say, hey, here's what the book is and what it entails, and that's gospel. But don't forget, we also agree with those guys when we say, that's not how it has to be ran for you. And this book does one further. They don't just say, hey, run it how you choose. Matt, Matt, we're done. It goes, well, that is one way to look at it. But here's some other ways you could look at it. And here's how the Canaanites might look at it. And here's what some guy in the back eating popcorn listening to this podcast might run it. So that freedom is there too with the skill sets to help you go through that. Also in this book. They go over the traditions. We know these, right? Nice big letters, their own section. Because mostly... If for someone who's going to stumble through a social hierarchy and the traditions would be brought up, you should have hope to know them. And if you're like me and got the PDF and you're standing and sitting in front of that new, that new troop you joined and you don't necessarily know what it is and you're about to be introduced to the prince at court, start clicking on those traditions, get them fresh in your head so you can at least follow along and make it, you know, cheating confidence, I refer to it. But it's, it's there. It's there to help. Dead cities. This section, by and large, is uh, one of my favorites. Um, we won't go much over into it. I love it when they take titles, kind of let, level out what they are, and explain them a little bit. They don't go through to tell you that this is what it must be. They just say, nope, this is what they are. This is how you could use it. 
that's it. And one thing I also want to bring up as well is it's very the, the position of keeper tells you it's a suicide position, and it clearly defines it in this book, saying you give it to a, a, a beginner, someone who's completely new, because they have to learn what pressure is, and it's the best way to put them in the boiler to be like everyone's going to be gunning after you. How do you keep an establishment knowing that when you put predators together, it's like putting cats together who are just feral, yep. you know, just big cats. And by nature, they're solitary hunting creatures. And now your job is to make sure that not only a, the place doesn't get torn up, B, they don't tear each other up. Um, and if anything happens, you're the one completely responsible for it. So it literally puts you in the hot spot. And I think this is one of the first few books that I see. It's so well defined here. Um, that definitely lets you know what the gravitas of holding that position is. And I think that one thing alone just, it blew my mind away. There's other aspects too, that when it drops down from the positions, because positions set up that, you know, we got to watch each other, clearly. There's a need to be a social structure to kind of reign in a city of, of vampires. However, what's the worst thing a vampire can do? And then it drops immediately to Tales of Damnation. Because that's when I think, when you tell me they're police and they have special titles and special rulers for special reasons... Why do we need them in the first place? And then it goes, Tales of Damnation, Bob. Read this. And they tell you about a brother slaying a brother. Shouldn't have to explain that, but you get that uh, that, that little tale. And their excerpt there is very enlightening. Then it talks about the Amaranth. Now, I'm skipping one generation. We should know that. Warring amongst generations of who has lower blood, who's closer to Cain, who's not. Of course. That's like a Dark Ages insult gimme. You know, I should listen to you. You're of the ninth gen. You don't know us here at the seventh. Move on. You know. There's something you could do. Plow a field or grow a city. I don't know. Elsewhere. Anyway, uh, the Amaranth is about what you would do as that ninth gen when you find that seventh gen alone without his friends. You stake him, then you eat his soul. And then you understand why all those other titles and positions would hunt you for it. So, Bob, I have a question about that. Do you believe then that this Amaranth, especially the way that it's currently written and, and having to speak about generations, also stems to the tradition of the Covenant and the resentment against it? Hmm. That's a, that's a good one. Um, I would have to say... I would have to say, yeah, I'd agree with you. I'd agree with you. That's, that's great insight. I hadn't thought about that. Um, the the ultimate thing about the Covenant, though... Nah, I'm, I'm like trying to go, yeah, but there's another insight. That's pretty much it. Because that makes sense. Because the, the whole thing with the traditions is the fact that uh, they're about how we should comport ourselves amongst each other. And then Lex Talionis and why that right of the prince is such a heavy burden and how it fits with everyone else. So when you talk about the Namoranth really directly to it, it's like, you know, they're stealing station, right? They're stealing mm -hmm. privilege. Because amongst that in the covenants, like the eldest of you should rule. And they translate a lot of that to, well, the eldest would be the lowest of gen, not just age. And so that's that's it's good insight. Never really thought about that. Hmm. Good call. I, that never occurred to me either. Um... Right. This is why it's also not a tradition, folks. Not anymore yeah. in the modern. Right. right. They figure that out real quick. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, something about the Anic Revolt. Some elders didn't make it. <clears throat> Hard to say. Anyway, uh, understand <laughs> in understanding the generations, they don't just tell you this is a number and this is how much blood. I actually go into a little story for it. Kind of give you an idea of what it might be like to be of the generations and coming from it. And going even down to the fear of the thin blood. I, won't, I say fear loosely. But why they would look down upon it. Like that shouldn't happen. Why you would be basically verifying why scourges last from there to the modern. You know, they should be hunting them down. You shouldn't have gone that far. All that fun stuff. You get enemies and mysteries in here. We won't go into it. We already know the other. Basically, if there's another book White Wolf made that you can play something. 
And here it lists them if you want to hunt and kill them as a vampire. Or, or face them as opposition. And they give you that option without you having to run out and get every book. And then it rolls into chapter 2. Now, what we're going to do here is there, there's a lot. We set up chapter 1 because there's a lot to like in little excerpts like start and stop. Here we're going to go a little deep and understanding some differences here. Now, off the bat, The Clans of Cain is the title of chapter 2. It's exactly what it is. But for the most part, we're going to skip the uh, the high and low clans we talked about. There's another listing there for that too. Um, as they list all the clans underneath it. So it's basically Asimites, the Venture, A to V, of the typical major clans you know. It's the bloodlines where this book blew me away. Mm -hmm. they, just, they just expanded the imagination here. And they do a couple things. They explain the evolutions of certain clans, i.e., big, big point, the Gengro traveled far and wide. A lot of people, when they saw this book, or even the, the V20 uh, Modern, it was like, why'd they bring these people back? What are they doing here? Who cares about the Anda? And here it's like, well, you should, because the Anda might be from Gengro origin, but look at the culture they're from. A vampire went there and embraced someone of that culture. Look how that culture evolved, or how they existed amongst it. You can't call them Gengro because their sire didn't stick around to educate them as a quote-unquote high clan or low clan ganger or whatever, the original base 13 or whatever. They left them to their own devices. And in this way, the blood evolved. And it permits them to do so. I like that take. They also have clans of unknown origins. And it mentions that too. You're going to see people you've never heard of in any book anywhere. Guess what? If you don't know their origins, perfectly fine. That makes them mysterious. <laughs> or they even tell you how canines handle it. They run into one of these clans, they like to cite, uh, like to attach them to it. I believe the example they cite in here is the uh, followers of Set. They're called, they call themselves Liban at times. You know, we're, we're Liban, we're over here, we're of different blood. We're not of the Canaanites at all. And then you have somebody who's uh, Ashen Prisco. Well, that would be true, except here in the Book of Nod, the ancient Book of Nod, you're mentioned with your antediluvian, so you're like us, okay? <laughs> now, Liban, you're like us. Thanks for playing. And, and moving on, right? But what are the Liban? The Liban are African-origin vampires. They come from there, but are they still Canites? Well, a Canite would be from Cain, a descendant. But to the Liban, who's Cain? Yep. Never seen, never known. They even mention that there is another blood, another group of vampires entirely that are coming from the east. That maybe the Salubrino, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, and some others. I've obviously talking about the Kwai Jin, Kindred of the East, without calling them that here. And I love that take. Because they're letting you know what's coming, like laying seeds, but how you might take it. And it also opens up the doors a little bit in everybody's mind. There was often this foggy closed box where we said, if it's not from the base first ad, it doesn't exist. <laughs> and when you update it, it's gar you know, you hear that talk sometimes, and it's cool to hear people that passionate. But very few books try to bridge that gap to explain to them, hey, hey, calm down. We agree with you. They have a place. But we're saying, wouldn't it be cool if? And can't you see that this might? And don't you think that this would be cool to add as a seed? And they had mm -hmm. to give you ways to do it. Talk about the era of exotic, which is basically what I'm saying. But the exclusivity is my favorite part. Many players will grab this book. will sit down and go, man, the Bonsom, those are bomb. I'm playing that immediately. And the ST's like, well, it's in the book. <sighs> How do I explain to him that? Look, man, that's, like, rare. It's technically a Liban. I mean, that's what it is, and we're in we're in England. We're in London. Londinium, even. I don't, uh, how, do, how is that guy going to adapt to the city? I mean, everybody's social, going to be in the game. 
And he's like, doesn't matter. Figure it out. I'm a Bonson now. <laughs> right? And it gives you that. It says, hey, look, exclusivity is what it is. One end, the exotics there. One end's exclusive. But if that doesn't make sense to you going from what the clan's about, let's look at the powers. Clan Shamir is perfectly cited as that. Thaumaturgy is the reason they survive. They get backing from people because they can do these blood miracles that seemingly come from nowhere. And it's not that they're the first to have it. It's they're the first to put it on main stage and mass, mass use it to where it's effective to the princes. Because this book does take place in a war of princes, right? 1242 is where this goes on. And so that has power. If I have a group of Tremere sitting in a chantry in my domain and are helping me defend it and I'm the prince, yeah, welcome to the high claim, buddy. At least here. Because I think it's cool. Then when I sleep in my crypt, you put a little blood mark underneath a window and no sunlight comes through to roast me. <laughs> right? That's useful. Thanks. I mean, we, we teach me it? No. No problem. Then I'll just keep you my buddy. Forever. <laughs> Drink my blood. Right? That's that's things you could do. But I digress. You make it sound like the Tremere turned into their own personal Igors. They do. Right? In a lot of ways. I mean, cause, well, because the Tremere have to be versatile. And I like that this book does that. It gives you the ability to look. And many different angles to play all the clan. Take this, for instance. Mm-hmm. We've all heard of Araman. Right. If you've heard of the Sabbat, especially in Second Ed, you've heard of the Araman. Right? That's okay. Played V-Test, Vampire of the Eternal Struggle. There's an Araman. You know the Araman. And their artwork's these violent people for no reason. And everybody wondered what Spiritus was. Well. Here, they, they fix it. They're called the Aramanes. And they update them with a powerful story. That gives you an origin you can get behind. And then that origin is of a Valkyrie. And I'm going to leave it at that. It is exclusively a female bloodline. That's in print. I dig it. But they add a Catch-22 that even shows that they're socially aware of the times uh, for this book. And they say, it's exclusively female. But upon death, if you were a male that identified being a female, that qualifies for the claim. As far as they're concerned. If you have that going for you, and that's the angle you want to go with your character, no problem. That's welcome. However, understand that, that that outlines this clan is based on, well, female, right? It's as simple as that. Is that okay? Sure, if it's your game. If it's not okay, it's still your game. They open that door still. However, the flavor when you read this story is so impactful and so powerful, I'm hard-pressed to convince that you wouldn't hold to it. Because mm-hmm. the moment you open the door and say, wait a minute, I could be a male. I just have to identify as a female and note that. And then it's in the culture of the Valkyrie. And then we're there. All right, cool. But the moment I'm like, now nah, I just wanted Spiritus. And I'm a dude. So I can go with my Obtenebration. I'm going to be over here now. Eh, we're kind of ruining the flavor, right? We don't want to do that. And that's that's my angle. It's not that it's wrong to do. Just do it in a way that doesn't ruin the clan's purpose. Because they have it there. They fix it, in other words. Uh, clan Bali. Not an alternate origin. I would say one that opens a door. One that opens the door to say, here's another facet that might be fitting in here that might make them playable. Maybe not. Don't don't unite and kill us. But we're trying to make it to where the Bali aren't that sitting on the shelf collecting dust terrifying group to play. That's the struggle. It's real, but they, they have it to where you could see that it's possible. Now, of the exciting clans in here that are new, the Bonsam, I mentioned them. I love them. I'm not going to go deep into them, but other to say this. They are the supreme predator. I'm going to state it. Reading all the clans and all the, all the origins of them, it's like they took the Nosferatu story of Abyssimilar being the supreme hunter in the Book of Nod, and he ran around and made these children. 
and I sat there and said to myself, man, Abba Simler was like a Bonson. This dude's running around in the dark hunting to hunt things because he's good at sneaking around and good at attacking people, respecting territory, doing his thing, kind of bragging about it. And then something, which, which they refer to believe as the shadowed one, comes through and touches them. That's like the Bonsom origin. That they were hunters and they were awesome and they get touched by darkness. And this darkness enters them and then made them these supreme predators. Like they don't even recognize it as a, as a weakness for the sun or none of the things that hurt a vampire to them. It just makes sense. Their inner darkness must hide from the light. Because that would be what would destroy them. But the prey needs to exist in the light so they can grow and do all the things they do so we can wake up and hunt them. It's, it's an interesting, fascinating take on it. It even dives deeper when you look into their discipline they have for the clan as well. It plays with, uh, with shadowed origins so well and the powers are so unique that the clan is honestly one of my, easily one of my favorites just to read about from a, a villainous perspective. And even if you were, I'm the type of ST to run a Dark Ages game where people get ambushed and someone gets embraced. And they have the blood of a Bonsom and a Sire stalking them. And that's like sort of a Grendel feel to it. That's just the fantasy ST scenario in my head to find a player wanting to do that. And that makes that clan awesome. Because they have to, you know, decide what that inner darkness is versus them. Figuring out as they grow through it, they're different than others. It's, it's cool. I'm in the weeds. Sorry. Getting signed here. But, sidetrack aside, Bonsom are badass. They uh, even have a new Indian clan, uh, an India of origin, the Danava. They're deep. They read as being an ancient clan of origin. If you're, if you're into that, I love that they went there. Because uh, at this point, we're talking about clans that go as far as Egypt, Persia. We're basically everywhere, opening up Europe entirely. And uh, the land's over there. And so, once you see that, it's nice to see India stepping up with kind of a fresh perspective. Having an alternate clan versus just being a Ravno derivative. Mm-hmm. I think it's boss. Something to check out. Um, Giovanni and the Gargoyles are here, but I just said that because they're next on the list. The mm-hmm. Impundulu. <laughs> Do either one of you know about the Impundulu? Very little. Very little. I know they have a very particular grim magic attached to them, but um, they're very terrifying. They're They're terrifying, but I think um, they're more... And it's funny because in terms of player characters, when you take a look at a bloodline, you always say to yourself, like, I I could probably play this. The Impedula kind of just hit me as a... Because they're as terrifying as they are in the way that they're written, they seem much more ST-like in Mm -hmm. nature. Or it seems more like they would be outside of the hands of players. Not, Not outside of the... Possibility, not saying anyone can't play them, but in terms of how it's written right now, they, they bring it up that way. So, in layman's terms, we'll keep it general. It's a hard clan if you didn't dive in and read them, and some people read this book that I talked to just didn't get into them. And when I say, hey, the Impendula were cool, and they look at me, like, what curse word did you just throw at me? And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> let me explain. You remember the cool one, where it talks about one one is a vampire, the other one's a witch? And that, that together they weave magics and purpose, and they, they hunt magic down, and that's kind of their gig? And then it's like, oh, that's cool. Like, who was it again? It's like, the book you bought. It's right in there. We talked about it, man. It's so cool. And, uh, you know, I might be the only one. That's fine. It's fine. I can live with that. But uh, the Impendulu is another one that is a, is a live on that is, uh, don't sleep on it. It's one that I think brings a lot of light and love to uh, the uh, African clan. Uh, I say African clan, but African origins of clans from there. The live on specifically uh, being that. They also... Uh, well, how do I put this? 
I'll put it up, and not so gently, the Lamia. There is a lot of uh, love-hate that people have had with Lamia, and it was the way they were ended. I was one of them. Very vocal on the podcast about the Lamia being, like, one of the ones I enjoyed watching uh, the female players play. Um, I was denied ever playing a Lamia. So you're a guy, you can't play it. I actually dug that. Right, of all the things I can play, it's like, oh, you want to be with Lamia? Cool, be a Cappadocian, and uh, I'll, I'll protect you then. <laughs> I kind of dig that. I was like going, all right, you don't think I could play a scholar now? I, I don't need a sword. <clears throat> Pardon me. So they say. One thing I can say about the Lamia in general, though, is... What I do like about them, Bob, especially, is the fact that, especially when you're taking a look at the Impadulu as well, and when we get to the Nagaraja, is the, these bloodlines are very unique in that they offer you those separate type of creation stories. Um, granted, of course, you know, they were picked up by the Cappadocians, but it, it's it's interesting the, the perspective that they do have, right? The the, the perspective of the outside. Um, and, and that's what caught my attention about the Lamia. What they do, uh, with the Lamia that's beautiful here, is that they point out the fact that they're Lilans. They are legitimately Lilans. Don't sleep. That's all I'm saying on it. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is don't glaze over and saying you know their story. You don't know the story in this book. And they, they bring it up beautifully. Yeah, they're a cult. Uh, two Lilas. And that's how they got found. And, and they terrified when the uh, first... Um, I, why am I forgetting her name? The first Lamia made, and I th- it may just be Lamia. I don't think it is, though. Could be wrong. Um, I think I'm right, actually. I think you're right as well. I think yeah. I'm right. So when they embraced Lamia, what I loved about it was that she whispers to Lazarus, who I believe messed up and did it, some great truth that she received as an insight from Lilith that terrified him. Something that shook him to his core. And they just sort of stuck around. And then the authors beautifully play with your head. I enjoy this part where they go, what was whispered to him? We don't know. Why did the Lamia not defend the Cappadocians? Mm, I don't know. Maybe Lamia knew. As being, you know, a renowned, like, oracle, kind of kind of prophetess. She saw what would happen. The Dark Mother told her. And so they stood and didn't defend the Cappadocians. Left them to their fate, knowing what would happen. Maybe they broke a deal with the Giovanni when they choose to step up to do that. And in return for that, we're left for them to go and be Lilins. At that point, that was freedom. Why I like it is if you study about all that, the whole Baharis bent that that kind of talks about. I mean the Baharis and Baharis, not just in World of Darkness. It's a story, right? Lilith's children. And when you go and look that up a little bit, it kind of, for me, dances in my head of how awesome that might be. Maybe they did do that. Kind of stole immortality and ran with it, and they're free uh, at that point. Because she didn't ask to be embraced. Last was just like, hey, you, yum, join us. And uh, there's a penalty for taking what's Lilith's. I dig it. Um, however, the Liana in, are in here too. Why I'm going to slow a bit and talk about them, but a lot of talk about Cold Moon. Now, Koldun is not exclusively to the Zemis. It's typically where you hear it from. Koldun is actually like a like an Eastern Europe uh, pagan thing. And uh, I don't mean like thing, but that's their sorcery. Right? A Koldun practices, you don't just call it witchcraft because it may just be worship or rituals and rites practice that give them their power. It's a bonding with the land of where they're at. And in specifically the spirits of the land, which makes it awesome. And the Lianen, ooh, this clan... When you read about their powers and the culture they have, is badass. You can't touch it. All the stuff I said was missing from the good pagan faith that brings about horror films or a good horror writing that would have a chill your very blood to know it existed. Oh man, do they include it in here. And to such an impactful, tasteful, 
uh, discipline level schematic, meaning that it's uh, for the benefits they get, it is hard to do. But it's the first discipline I've read where I went, I want that power just because of what they make me go through to have it. Right? And it's execution. For instance, we all if you haven't heard of the Wicker Man and don't know what that is, um, look it up. But basically... The bees. In... <laughs> yep. The... <laughs> you, you could say, the, yes, the bees from the film. That's accurate. But it's, it's, a, it's a cool movie, but also they hang on to that a little bit and throw it in with a little love and talk about how the Leonin would use it and in their power. So basically, it would take a Wicker Man which is uh, basically a straw-based uh, structure built like a man that's massive enough to put people in it. Because they're going to put people in it. <laughs> Other things too, but that's pretty much the main thing you're offering in Sacrifice. And, it, and, the, and the Leonin has to be the one to do it. And it takes a lot to do. And you get the idea. They're going to burn it, and there's going to be people inside it. And they're going to get an awesome benefit from it, is the point. Because when that burns all the way down, they say it takes about three hours for those players that might ask. They then take the ash from it, mark their chest and they'll know it works because they get scarred from it and this grayish woad is on them and it helps them uh soak fire and sunlight as if it's normal and i know what you're gonna do because you're looking at the book and go well how long does that last what i love about it they don't say it lasts until it doesn't and i like that because basically for the effort to go through to do that that's that's between you and the storyteller and if it's done well enough it may never go away right that may just be a rite of passage for you and i thought yeah. Hell yeah. So, Bob, I have a question regarding that, right? Because of how well the Leon had written this book. You know, do you think that there was also a combination of how, and maybe just the Leon in general, would have been one of the reasons why Witten Chronicles of Darkness, especially for Vampire the Reckoning, we see the Circle of the Crone, and how well they put together they kind of melded in together to a certain degree? Well, if I'm correct, that, uh, the Circle of the Crone came out before this. It did, but that's what I'm yeah. saying. Maybe this had influenced or the way they could tie them in. I'll tell you, I mean, no. I'll tell you no, because and here's why. The research... Well, I won't say no. I'll say the research for both the Order of the Crone and this comes from Pagan Origins. Mm-hmm, right. If you did your homework mm-hmm. and you researched what they've done and what they say have done and the sensational stories of what was encountered, a lot of it, you may not know this, comes from Greek writing, which, as the, as the historical scholars have a tendency to say, if the Greeks wrote about it, take it with a grain of salt. They're all artists. They all have a bit of the storyteller to them. I, I never heard that, but I guess that makes sense. Um, but, that's why a lot of uh, that's why a lot of Greek writing survived. But the, to finish that point real quick, um, that's well, no, because it's an art based culture. That's where we get it from. And no, that's it makes a, sense. That's a lot of what they did. But when they went and researched this, and you actually look at it, you, now we got the internet and JSTOR and whatever. Mm-hmm. You start reading about these stories and seeing these influences. Instead of you going, "Aha! I caught your white wolf. Now I know where you got it, and your secrets are mine." You can sit here and go, "I read about him. I wondered if that was real. I found it. Oh, okay. So that." That right and ritual really wasn't as bad as they thought. Case in point. If you look up Kapala, it's it's a the night of Kapala is like a cleansing thing. It's like a ritual in Eastern Europe. It's to cleanse the land. It's a good thing. Yeah. Right? They just made it's fiction, so they made Kapala a demon and a corrupter of the land of what that was and, and all that is. It's not, it's, they're not all necessarily bad. So to answer your question, DJ, I think that's thrown out to show that the order of Crone and the aggression they have when they made, I do mean aggression, they want to sell home that the rights have to matter. The distinction yep. of the culture of the order of the Crone has to be those rights. So too, the Leonin, being pagan-based, they too need something to grasp onto to give them meat, something that makes them stand on their own, and, and anybody would want to play, and still makes them vampiric. Druidic, in a sense, I'd argue. I apologize for I'm trying to uh, segue it off you, man. 
Oh, you did. I was just going to say, I um, this has a very, very specific feel to it that I don't get with uh, with Circle of the Crone in that um, Circle of the Crone banded together against uh, an aggressor in that case, right? And they certainly have their own rituals and blood magics that have uh, commingled together, but with um, with Circle of the Crone, you can take that in a number of directions, whereas with the Leonin, reading through this, I get a very vivid picture of, of who the Leonin are. So be honest. You get a picture of who the Leonin are. Are you inspired to play one? Not really. I can get a, I can get a clear picture of something without having the the desire to to play them, uh, and I don't have that for this um, uh, this bloodline. Not that I think they're bad. I just don't. Uh, there's no story in my mind for this bloodline right now. Is a, is a better way to say that. I'll take it. I won't judge you at all. You can be wrong. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I would love to play it. Like, I want to play nine characters out of here just because not only I've never had big story you can write for them. No. Uh, you know let's... me. I want to play the bosom. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it because the segue is pretty smooth here. Uh, to the, I'm going to do this in reverse order. We're going to talk about the Romenga. The Romenga are just, a, I won't say just, another Liban-based group, but they use Obtenebration and a derivative mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. I believe it's called Izina. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's, it's an A-I-Z-I-N-A, I believe. It's, yeah, uh, right. but that's that's what it is. What I like about it, I'm a huge Lasombra fan. Uh, this this side of the fence, I'll say. And uh, what I like about it is that they give you an alternate version of it, and an alternate origin story. And so now he's not just you know the Lasombra into him. Isn't that weird Kraken at the bottom of the ocean running around with the with the sea people, sacking people for no reason? Now this opens up your mind to say, what if that antediluvian was more of an entity than ever a person? Right? Because how, how did they come from Africa and you got these people who act similar to the Lasombra, but almost do it better? Right? They're called puppeteers, but smooth cat daddies, right? They're able to get a lot done versus the said pragmatism. About, in other words, they're ruthless. I dig ruthlessness in my vampires. And that's uh, one of the things I do appreciate how they're written. And they open up to feel very different than a typical Lasombra. And that makes them, well, they're different, right? So that's awesome. Flip that back to the Nictaku. I, I did say it right. The Nictaku. You did. You did. You did. When I first saw this book, and I saw the Nictaku was in it, I literally went, what sort of crack were we smoking? I, I had the same reaction with that. Um, if I could real quick, this, when I read this bloodline, though, you know, I had a, a certain expectation of, like, apex hunters coming in, like, hunting a certain um, group of people, we'll say, and I didn't, I didn't get that impression from this at all. This kind of like sideswiped me with my expectation. Uh, I'm assuming both of you had a similar reaction to it. Uh, similar is a, you're grossly missing the mark. I, uh, this, this inspired me to go look up the company who released this book. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that. Cause I, Oh man, I was heated, right? This, this is before, I mean, I heard about Onyx path and I was like, who took this over? What is this? Because someone was telling me about the Nictaku. They're like, Bob, bro, you can play Nictaku now. Isn't that cool? And I went, no. <laughs> why, why am I playing Nictaku in a Chronicle? At that point, who gets to play a Kane? Who's solid? And what, what's the Last Supper? What are we doing? <laughs> and uh, they're like, Bob, just calm down and read it. I was like, I'll calm down in my own time. I'll check it out. And of course, after that conversation, I immediately went and ordered it. But the point is, uh, I was like, you know, I, I need to see what's going on. And then as I realized it, I went, ah, Sonic's Path are people I dig. I understand. They're pulling me, they're pulling me in dead center. 
And I also think they expertly did it that way. It's a sell point. It got me. You just said Nick DeCue in this book. And then it's like, mm-hmm. look, table of contents, Nick DeCue on the bloodlines. <laughs> oh, I got to get the book now. That's what it did. Because I had to see how crazy it got. And it's not crazy. They even go so far as to go, we know what you thought. But let me show you a different take on it. What if there's some vampires and unknown origins that come from somewhere? And they were decadent as a god. And one of their weaknesses, one of the things they were cursed with, as all clans should be cursed by Cain, right? Apparently. They, uh, the older they get, they age in the face. They lose their beauty. And so typically they hide behind masks. And then they hint at the fact that these guys, well, they hate Nosferatu. Right? Is there a reason for that? What, what is that story about? And then, whew, no explanation. Right? And a lot of people are like, no! Tell that story! I'm, I'm a Nos player! Finally, the district could reveal that everyone is what's going on. Well, they go, look, Jack, if there were a bunch of, like, 50, uh, like, Nakulaviv, she who screams in darkness from the first edition, waking up and sacking cities, blighting out all electricity and killing all Nos in the sewer. If you're a fan of the novels, you know what I'm talking about. Mask of the Red Death trilogy and all that. You can look it up. Uh, but when it, go to, when it went to that level and you hear about it, you're like, that's crazy. I'm never having that in this game. And Onyx Pat said, oh, really? Well, what if we told you someone greatly exaggerated the story and really they were one of these cats because they they feed on vampires exclusively. Mm -hmm. That's what they have to do. They have to hunt to take that blood to do what they got to do. And I sat there and I went, ooh, someone worse than the Asimites. This is awesome. (laughs) Right? This is so good. Right? You can do a plot where like this, this like old Roman who was never venture, who was really mad they took away his bathhouses. And decided for whatever reason move and whatever whatever the story why he moved I don't care but the point is vampires start piles of ash are left but he leaves a single rose in the ash pile you know or maybe starts leaving Carthaginian coins just to be a schmuck I love the idea of it it's so good and watching a prince and, oh the torador oh the bruja revenge it's everything no Jack it's a Nosferatu going we we did have five of us my lord you're down to one and I think tonight. At the full moon, he grows hungry again. I will hear the sacred flute, and I will... Well, that, that'll be the end of it. Nobody else has escaped it. You, you don't seem to hear me anymore. But we're a low clan. Wait a minute, they only hunt Nosferatu? Yes, good, good riddance. Goodbye. <laughs> right? There's a whole story that opens up there that I think is awesome. It could be completely cool. And um, last but not least... <sighs> the true Bruja are fine. <laughs> are they? They're, they're fine. I don't know. I sense a lot of, of uh, what's the word here, um, hesitance with that. They're fine. They make them fine, okay? It's, uh, they, they make them playable. <laughs> they're cool. They take them away from a weird, obscure, crazy-ass cult and throw them up to where it can make sense that they exist. It's the difference of the Bruja, you know? They went through explaining exclusivity and everything. They got me. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. You forced me. To, to take them off the hate list. I can't heckle them anymore. If they're 20th Dark Ages, a true Burha. You can come at me with that Talma Ra, who cares? I'm, I'm going to be on you. But uh, this this was good. This is really good. Um, I won't ruin it. We know the true Burha. A lot of you were fans of it. And a lot, like a lot of you fans also were heckling me about it when he kept saying, wait till you get to the DA20 and we'll have this talk. You're right. You're correct. I'm on your side now. Bought the card, it's good. Well done, Onyx Path. Well good. Well, to the authors, amazing job. Um, teach an old guy like me how to appreciate new things isn't easy. 
And when it's done, I love it. Now, gushing aside, we're into chapter three, talking about the roads we walk. We're not going to get too much into this because we just did a series of podcasts going over roads specifically. We did. We did. I do have something to bring up, though. Yep. One of the things that I thought was pretty cool about here is especially when it's starting to talk about your initiates, your adherents, your mentors, your paragons, your apostates, and then we get to the excommunicates, right? And from a mechanical perspective, it pretty much tells you that only paragons, especially when you get three paragons together, folks that are on a certain level, at least eight above on their particular road, and then they go, you know what, Bob? You don't belong in this club. I don't like the way you're doing this in any way, shape, or form. You could uh, you go kick rocks. <laughs> what do you think, Brennan? Yeah. What do you think, Mike? Mike was not here. Yeah, why not? So, <laughs> but, a great Mike impression. Right. But I, what I think is, is interesting about it is that the way it mechanically works is if you get excommunicated from your own road that you wanted to stay on, you suffer a difficulty to like your conscience or your conviction. And it, it must make me wonder just how much pressure it must be to want to stay on this particular path. And, and, and it's always like, hey, guys, but I'm one of you. Nah, get out of here. <laughs> right so so is that the reflection of it and how does the beast deal with something like that and just like that one segment alone on the excommunication just gave me like an entire storyline of it like I, bob what, what is your take on that how, how do you feel someone must feel if you have three folks who must be on the paragon your superheroes looking down and you're going like kick rocks you don't belong here no more i'll tell you right now that's a that's a different form of hell because walking a road's not easy when you're embraced especially in this time you're taught the virtues of the one who embraced you your sire brings you in and kind of shows you the ropes of what goes on. And depending on what road they follow, it's most likely their road. And so if you're on it to one night and have three people, just go, you are so not us. It says you were road of kings. I get it. But Robert, you still have only one castle. All your knights are dead. <laughs> You're accepting Christianity well, but you pay too much to the church. Therefore, you are poor. I, uh, You're definitely not on the road of bling. Get out. And, I, and I'm like, you know, thinking in my head, you, I've been fighting your wars. I'm gone most times. There was supposed to be someone in my stead, and there was. My child was holding it down. I'm being thrown out. I brought back stuff that's being sold by merchants. How quick do you think we get from Italy where we were warring? Brought back. By the way, I'm with the church, Jack. What are you doing? They throw them out. That's begging for a war. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if I feel I'm on the road of kings and you're telling me I'm not, okay. In this area, you're throwing me out on the road of kings. I'll be back when I get to the true kings that follow this road. And we're going to see who's what. And we're going to hash it out. Again, whenever you lay seeds to build powerful story, that's awesome. And amongst the roads, roads used to be just, we're philosophers. We meet and discuss. We might do things we might not. We don't know. Life so eternal. That's what it, <laughs> no, Bruja would come to blows. You don't believe what I believe in? Yeah, soul and rage. Ah, oh, master. You know. Sure, there would be some of that, unless you're true Bruja and you don't have time for those shenanigans, I remember. Uh. But the point is, the point is, they give walking a road levels for a reason. And that's what I dig about it, because it, it, let's face it, when you're new and someone tells you, well, you're walking a road now, here's a chart of the hierarchy of how you have to behave, good luck, best of luck, you don't know how to do it. However, what gives you leeway as a storyteller and a breath of fresh air as a player, if I'm called an initiate on the road and I could ask questions and there are mentors to help me out and I don't feel I'm walking on eggshells. It's a learning based thing. That's a lot of role play I get to do. And I think that's, that's, that's really what sings here in this book to show you how to do it. Interesting enough, they give you sort of the three steps of changing roads. Again, they must've known too that in uh, what was, where we looking at that book that did all the paths in one 
in the modern win over. It was a uh, chaining the beast. Chaining the beast. Chain the beast. Yeah, they kind of dip into it, but it was vague. I think Nate, when he said it uh, very well, when he put it that it's very confusing how to jump from one path to the other. You'd have to be some sort of an expert to kind of get what they're talking about. And even I myself, I've done it twice, uh, both with players, and it was successful. But I was the storyteller, and I felt very much I didn't have a support basis to show the player. Have confidence you're doing the right thing because it's right here in the book. Right? They were happy they went through it and believed me, but that was what they were missing when they told me. Here it is in the book now. Don't wonder. Here's why we diminish your virtues. Here's what it's like to wonder astray and all that. Your moment of truth when you know you're doing it right and when you're growing in the road and what that looks like. All here and present. They break it down mechanically, which is what fans have been asking for. Road ratings, road features, the ethics, how to initiate them, what an organization might do. What an aura is. I think a lot of people were wondering about that too. Virtues and then of course the paths. Right? That's where they, you know, you're on the road and here's the paths to, get, uh, to do what you're doing. And the beauty of this is, a lot of you are like, well, duh, we know this. That's cool. Remember what I said, the lesson here is don't sleep on it. You think you know it, and if you're coming from older material, remember this is updated material. Get that fresh perspective to inspire you to know how to now reapply it. Best advice I could do. Going through this, of course, there are specific roads that punched me in the face repeatedly when I saw this. I was like, I saw a road of Lilith, and I, 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 did, I did the classic, okay, Baharis. We're going to talk about how we scar each other, and we're special, and we dance around in pleather, and uh, we'll tear apart men, and we hate the world, and, you know, how dare you harm my garden? And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's it, so let's read it. And I started reading it, and I was like, what do you mean there's three, bro? This is badass. <laughs> D- direct Lilith? What, direct Lilith? What is that? And you start reading it, and it's like Path of Thorns, Path of Veils, Path of Making, How to Be, What Rites and Rituals One Could Do, What It Means, Why They Don't Write Down Their Thing. When you read the, uh, what is that uh, that prop book they had? It wasn't the Book of Nod. It was a Lilith-based one. Um, Revelations of the Dark Mother. Thank you. Revelations of the Dark Mother. I, I like that book because of the smash-mouth nature of the author. Mm-hmm. It was really a story of how she went through torturing everybody in her diary of how she did it. And yeah. it reads like a psychopath. If you're not on the road of Lilith. But I, I'm one of those people. I could shift perspective. If I'm her, I just told you how to do this. Without having to educate you. This was my road to follow to the Dark Mother. What's yours? And you have to find out what it is. And you kind of... It's, it's a guide for you. And now... I love it when a, when a company takes a book that on its own may not have shined as bright. But then they throw in, now here's the key that brings it forward and attaches well. Not only is a prop, is insight, it's cool things to use, and you have now a comprehensive mini book of how to be that, uh, that Lilith. And, uh, or even Baharis, if you want to make, a, make an extreme distinction, you have that ability. What do you guys think? I personally ended up thinking that this is the exact same thing that we should have been seeing in earlier books as well, especially with the Lamia. And this is why we were we were glowing over the Lamia before, right? And and it the the specific types of paths that are made available to you, if only because we don't have this in the modern. That you only have the, the one that just shows up. This gives you the option to branch out in the way that you want to, either as a male or female character, because you don't know the Dark Mother's Dark Mother as it is. And one of the things that you love about this book as well, if it hasn't been hammered home with the various amounts of bloodlines that we have, is 
you can't trust that Kane's the only one. And the same way that Bob was mentioning a little bit earlier is like you can't just rely on the 13 to be your only one true way. This is, you know, I wish that <laughs> I wish that something like this had also existed um, for the African bloodlines as well. But this is a very good introduction of alternate ways of viewing your own personal existence and beast and how to make peace with it from a non canine perspective. And, and I, I definitely put it as canine as in being cane new origin. What do you think, Brentron? I only pick it on you because I know it's a bit new to you than me and DJ. We're kind of the old ass for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you being fresh perspective, been through campaigns dealing with this. Wh- what do you think about the take now getting fresh perspective? I was uh, this fresh perspective. It wasn't it didn't seem completely different, but uh, it just it seemed like a um, I was looking down a hallway when I was reading about um, uh, Path of Lilith before for modern. Right. And I feel like I saw some people like open up windows in like a, a sunroom and now I have a completely different uh, example on here. Like I have to say I really, really like uh the path of fails a lot. The um the the focus on uh on like or I guess vengeful take it has. Uh obviously that was already already prevalent throughout um uh, uh Path of Lilith before, but um this this was a uh, this was the one that stuck out to me the most uh, when reading the paths. Interesting. Well, um, before we kind of step from it, there's a point in this book that I think will help a lot of people, in particular those who may still be struggling with the uh, the faith of what's going on in uh, the Dark Ages. A lot of people don't touch on it, just in the backdrop, right? But it was such a focus. I don't know how you run a Dark Ages game and not address faith. And uh, definitely Christianity takes over, right? From a Muslim perspective, um, Hebrew, and of course, uh, the straight-up Christian, they have they have three very powerful religions that come through and begin converting or eliminating opposition and just straight-up attacking uh, the, the platform of pagans entirely, whether through conversion or they just disappear, is a, is a way they put it in this book. And uh, that puts it kind of gentle, but at the same time, we know what happens. Times change, people, those who win, get the spoils. And one of the spoils is your religion gets to be talked about on Sunday. And that's a lot of what happened. Doesn't mean they all died out, by the way. There are still places that do lively support it. I know a lot of uh, Romania from reading uh, earlier this week. They still practice a lot of the pagan uh, pagan rites in those areas. They're really cool. Uh, on top of them being Christian, you know, that happens as well. And they marry them. They, they're they fine in unison with what they have and a lot of what those were survive. Which is cool uh, when you think about it. I mean, that's all the way back to the Thracians and uh, the Dacians who are in the area that they're still keeping that practice going is impressive. And I'm, uh, I'm it's weird to say I'm proud of that, but it, felt, it did my heart well to read it. This book honors that. It tells you that. It says, hey, by the way, just so you know, before you decide to say that Christianization of Europe completely dominates everything sure it's a successful propaganda campaign as it outlines in the chapter but let's not forget the pagan traditions of europe and what they're about so they, they give you leeway as to why they would survive and how they would be as a player and a storyteller note that because when you go through it that's going to help you kind of marry i'm a i'm allowed to play this amici cold and finally in the dark ages what does it mean where would i go with it how would it be what does it mean to be pagan and this right here gives you a little insight right so you don't have to go run and research and study a whole bunch all in one book is what I said before and why I sung the praise of the writers and still do. That's all in one book. You get to this page and read their guidance and how to go about it. It's more than enough guidance to help you rock that character 
live that life and pull off that pagan feel for what you're doing. Well, that'll conclude part one of our two-part series on Vampire the Dark Ages 20th Anniversary Edition. We look forward to seeing you at part two. Thank you for listening to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, at our email, info at 25yearsvtm.com, on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25yearsvtm, or on our website, www.25yearsvtm.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade.